You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Microsoft buys GitHub for $7.5 billion. VPN Filter seeks to re-establish itself. Financial Trojans are up and ransomware is down, but don't count the ransomware out. Not yet. There's a Get Decrypted for Free card to Russian ransomware victims. The children of Mirai trouble an unhappy world. USA Really may be the latest incarnation of the Internet Research Agency, complete with rabid Florida squirrels, Wisconsin bloodsuckers, and advice on Louisiana's secession. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, June 4th, 2018. We begin with some major industry acquisition news. Weekend rumors that Microsoft was in talks to buy open source code repository GitHub were borne out this morning. Speculation about price ran to around $5 billion. This morning, Redmond announced that Microsoft had indeed made that acquisition, but not for $5 billion. Rather, GitHub went for a cool $7.5 billion in stock, about $2.5 billion more than already overheated rumor had predicted. Some observers see the move as representing for Microsoft a kind of return to its developers' roots. Developers in general have shown a mixed reaction, with many predictably responding to the news in a Martians have landed and the man is out to get you mood. Rival platform GitLab saw a considerable immigration of projects on Sunday as rumors of the deal spread. Microsoft itself expects a good bit of churn as it integrates this acquisition. The VPN filter botmasters may be attempting to reconstitute their botnet. Researchers at security companies JASK and Graynoise reported late Friday that the threat actors behind the first round of infestations are working to herd another set of routers. In an attempt to work around the U.S. FBI's sinkholing of the to-know-all domain, they are actively scanning microtick routers with port 2000 exposed online, and they're looking only for routers in Ukrainian networks. The focus is unsurprising, given that the threat actor in question is widely believed, on compelling if circumstantial evidence, to be Fancy Bear, also known as APT-28, also known as Russia's GRU. The interest in Ukrainian targets is significant, but no one in any country should be blasé about the possibility of router infection. The FBI's advice remains good, and the Bureau regards this episode as a teachable moment. As Symantec's Vikram Thacker told Dark Reading, the Bureau is, quote, trying to get the word out that people should reboot their routers and set up regular routines for doing firmware upgrades, end quote. So cycle power on your Soho router and update your firmware. The seesaw of criminal practice currently seems to be tilting financial Trojans up and ransomware down. Ransomware is, of course, still significant. 
Alien Vault notes that the Satan ransomware family has adopted new approaches to spreading itself, some of them involving the Shadow Brokers' eternal blue exploit. And where are the Shadow Brokers these days? It's been a while since they've been heard from. In another ransomware development that affords some insight into the complex relationship between ransomware extortionists and either national pride or relationships with national security services, the authors of the SIG-run ransomware are offering free decryption to Russian users. They try to avoid infecting Russian users by the rough-and-ready method of detecting a Russian keyboard, but sometimes things happen. So what would cost an American user about $2,500 in Bitcoin or Dash a Russian user can get for free. Bleeping Computer consulted the Malwarebyte security researcher who noticed the discount. He told them that the Sigrun hoods are also willing to help out Ukrainian users. The Ukrainian Cyrillic keyboard layout is sufficiently different from the Russian to permit a normal infection rate in Ukraine. Best not to get infected in the first place, so click with caution and treat email attachments with due suspicion. And should you wind up infected with Sigrun or any other ransomware variant, your best assurance of resiliency and ability to recover is regular, secure backup. Netscout Arbor reports that criminals continue to make extensive use of evolved forms of Mirai for denial-of-service attack flavors Satori, GenX, OMG, and Wicked. Satori added remote code injection exploits, GenX relies on external scanning and exploitation tools, OMG added HTTP and SOX proxies, and Wicked, the latest evolution, has moved from credential scanning to RCE vulnerability scanning. FireEye says a new site that popped up last month, USA Really, is in fact a Russian information operation run out of the same building in St. Petersburg that housed the famous internet research agency Troll Farm. As FireEye's eyesight manager of information operations analyst puts it to McClatchy, quote, We're not saying it is the Internet Research Agency, but there are a number of indicators that suggest it is. Some of the features are charmingly bizarre. For example, blood-sucking monsters invade Wisconsin. The denizens of Milwaukee will recognize this as a reference to what are normally called mosquitoes. Louisiana ought to secede again, on account of if it were a country, it would have the 45th largest economy. Rabid squirrels are infesting Florida, possibly an homage to Peter Singer's famous ruminations about the squirrel threat to the power grid, and so on. But the intent is thought to be malign erosion of such civic trust that Americans may still enjoy, or so we hear. USA Really popped up on May 17th, It had a Facebook page until reporters asked Facebook Friday, hey, how about it? At which point Facebook took them down. They've still got their Twitter feed, at least the last time we checked. Their come on is mistrust. Don't get your news from the mainstream media or their puppets in the political classes. If you want the skinny on the rabid squirrels, the deep state's not going to come clean with you. But while the boys and girls on Savushkina Street talk Russian among themselves, they'll talk straight to you. Or so they say. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. 
quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She's the Senior R&D Manager for Security at Accenture, and she's also a New America Cybersecurity Fellow. Malek, welcome back. Um, you have some interesting research that you wanted to share about using behavioral biometrics for detecting mental disorders. What's going on here? Thanks, Dave. Uh, so as you know, behavioral biometrics have been proposed as an approach to authenticate users continuously as they interact with a digital system or a mobile device to complementing the way we regularly authenticate to those systems using passwords. Uh, It turns out that those same behavioral biometrics can be used for other purposes. And this is really, really exciting. Um, It's exciting to see how cybersecurity research can be applicable to other fields uh, and improve people's lives. One example of a behavioral biometric that can be used for authentication is the way we type, our typing behavior. Our research has indicated that that typing behavior is unique by person, by user, uh, and it can constitute a digital uh, fingerprint. But because of that uniqueness of that consistency in typing behavior, some researchers within the medical field have looked at using that to see if it can detect mental disorders. You know, the way we type basically becomes a habit. It becomes hardwired into our brains. Our brains get attacked by a mental disease. That wiring gets affected. So are we talking about uh, a change in the way that we type over time where we're detecting you used to type something one way and now it's different? 
it's a change in the way we type. How fast do we type? How, which combinations do we use? How long does it take us to move from one uh, key to another? It's those types of behaviors that are typically consistent for people during the day, uh, during the week. Uh, but if our brains get attacked, they, they tend to change. Uh, and if, if you think about it, the way mental disorders get diagnosed today is very expensive. So doctors have to uh, do brain scans, or they may have to uh, run expensive cognitive tests and time-consuming cognitive tests, uh, or they may, have, they may have to rely on their subjective analysis. So offering them a way to monitor typing behavior, monitor an activity that everybody does, you know, almost every time is a mundane activity, uh, can be very useful for early uh, diagnostics. So a company, um, a startup company called Neurometrics, based in San Francisco, is using and harnessing typing cadence to assess a patient's uh, mental health. At this point, um, they reported some encouraging results, but it was based on an internal study about Parkinson's disease um, that distinguished patients from healthy people with 99.9% accuracy. Now, it's interesting. I mean, I could certainly see the advantages of this if, if I were someone who, uh, who I, where I knew I had trouble with something like depression and maybe uh, I could have a, an app monitoring me to give me some indications that uh, maybe even before I was self-aware of it, that, that maybe I was heading into uh, you know, a bad place. I could see the usefulness of that. But on the other hand, I would imagine this wouldn't be something that I would want installed on my computer at work. I might not necessarily want my boss to know these sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, the company is offering a consumer app that provides such an evaluation as a feature for consumers to look at how consistent their be typing behavior is. It reports their consistency score, but it also shares the typical score range for a healthy person. It does not draw any conclusion about their mental health uh, because, you know, the, the app might get the company into trouble with uh, government regulators. But at least it gives the consumers a heads up about, you know, how consistent they are. And, you know, it may indicate uh, some issue that may uh, let them go to, uh, or decide to go see a doctor. No, it's an interesting story for sure. And it, like you said, an example of some, some technology used for security that could uh, help people in other ways. Yeah. Malek Ben Salem, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.